You're listening to a 4x4 Radio Network Podcast. Are you ready? It's the Jeep Talk Show. With Jeep Mama. Are you sure? Josh. Yeah, I don't think so. And Tony. I think that's a huge deal. So sit back, strap in, and brace yourself. Hey, this episode of the Jeep Talk Show is brought to you in part by Extreme Terrain, Wrangler Off-Road Parts and Accessory Outfitter. Stay tuned to learn more about Extreme Terrain's Jeep Wrangler Tire Technical Guide. This episode of the Jeep Talk Show is sponsored in part by Black Magic Brake Products. They build big brake kits for your Jeep. BlackMagicBrakes.com sells direct bolt-in Vanco big brake kits with Black Magic Brake Pads and new steering knuckles. Find out more by visiting blackmagicbreaks.com. That's blackmagicbreaks.com. Have you ever thought about removing your Wrangler or Gladiator hardtop? I bet you have. Maybe not this time of year, but I bet it's in your mind. Have you been struggling to find a solution to do that the right way? Well, the J-Bar is a complete Jeep hardtop removal hoist and storage system that works with both Wrangler and Gladiator hardtops. It has never been easier to go topless. Check them out at www.jbar.com. That's the letter J dash b a double r dot com you know it doesn't matter if you have a jeep want a jeep or never driven anything but jeeps this show is for you josh tammy and myself are here to inform and entertain you while we talk about jeeps hi i'm tony and after three days at sema fitbit is refusing my step count claiming fraud Hey Jeeper, I'm Josh and like you i'm not ashamed to rub myself against my jeep every so often just for the feel of it Oh, you, you don't do that too? Hey, you guys lied to me! These people don't do that. Local Jeep News, National Jeep News, and news from around the world. It's This Week in Jeep. This Week in Jeep is brought to you by Amazon.com. Looking for a way to support the show? Just go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and press the big Amazon button there. You'll be taken right to the magical land of Amazon's online shopping. While there, anything you purchase will give the show a few cents of Kick back while costing you nothing more. If you like what you hear or have gotten any benefit from what we're doing over here, well, then please consider giving back. That's jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and look for the big Amazon button. Hey, and thanks in advance. Ten years in a row. That's what I call bragging rights. The annual SEMA show where Tony is at as I type this story must be like Nirvana for the Jeep brand. And the automaker specialty parts division isn't disappointing this year either. Bringing 14 vehicles to the show, including two pickup truck concepts as well as a Jeep Wrangler Rubicon concept. The concept vehicles from Jeep this year are particularly timely as the Jeep Wrangler continued its unprecedented and unbroken run of success in Las Vegas after being named 4x4 SUV of the year for the 10th straight year. The Wrangler is the only vehicle to have won an award each and every single year since the honors began in 2010. Accepting the award was Mark Bosniak, head of Mopar Service, Parts, and Customer Care of FCA North America. He said winning the award is a testament to not only the staying power of the Jeep Wrangler, but also the passion and creativity of the aftermarket community, which continues to select the Jeep Wrangler as a perfect canvas for customization. And it is, too. The awards don't lie. Well, the Little St. Michael Catholic School at 48 Walnut Street in Brattleboro, Vermont, will officially begin its Project Feed the Thousands food drive on Thursday morning. This year, St. Michael is partnering with Summit Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram to fill the Jeep. 
Kelly Corbeil of Project Feed and Mr. and Mrs. Capra of Summit will join the school in announcing the event. Students will have donation boxes in all their classrooms from November 8th through December 20th. Families will be challenged to make donations, with classrooms competing against one another to win weekly weigh-ins. At the end of the drive, all of the items will be piled into a vehicle provided by Summit and driven to the donation site for Project Feed the Thousands. There will be a vehicle, namely a Jeep, parked outside the school for the duration of the drive to remind St. Michael families and church passioners to fill the Jeep. Of course, I don't think there's going to be anything stopping Jeepers from outside the area to help out, so if you want to get involved, send some food, or volunteer, contact the school administrators to see how. Okay, so ordinarily, I don't do three Jeep stories unless it's, well, kind of a big deal. And, well, this one is certainly big news. I'm just not sure how good or bad it really is, though. On Thursday, it became official. Fiat Chrysler Automobiles and the PSA Group are merging to become the world's fourth largest automaker. Alfa Romeo, Citroën, Chrysler, Dodge, DS, Fiat, Maserati, Opel, Peugeot, Ram, and Vauxhall will all now share a single corporate parent and begin merging operations. In a press release, Fiat Chrysler and PSA said that the 50-50 merger should save more than $4 billion or 3.7 billion euros in a year from run rate synergies without plant any plant closures, which is basically a fancy way of saying that as a conglomeration of all these automakers, they can together weather any storm that the market brings without resorting to layoffs and plant closures just to stay afloat. Merging with another large automaker has actually been FCA's plan for quite a while. You may remember us reporting several times before his untimely death that Sergio Marchion, FCA's former CEO, had conducted talks with many potential suitors. Just earlier this year, FCA was in active discussions with Renault, but those talks ultimately went nowhere. Now FCA will join up with France's other big automaker, PSA Group. On the face of it, it seems like utter nonsense, and I, for one, as a Jeep enthusiast, feel like you probably do upon hearing this news and have lost all hope for the brand's future among so much European influence. However, to the more fiscally influenced, the merger makes a lot of sense. FCA has strong sales in the Americas and a decent portfolio of luxury brands and, of course, the shining jewel and what many say are the only things keeping this automaker afloat, which are the SUV and truck brands, namely the Jeep and Ram brands, something that PSA doesn't have. PSA is strong in Europe, though, and its brands are better mainstream cars built using more modern architectures. PSA Group is also well ahead of FCA in terms of electrification. The new company, which has yet to be named, will be registered in the Netherlands, although it will, quote, continue to maintain significant presence in the current operating head office locations in France, Italy, and the U.S. Well, as for U.S. car buyers, it's probably a little too soon to know what this will all mean in terms of what cars we will have access to and be able to buy. PSA Group has wanted to return to the U.S. market for a while, and in February, news broke that Peugeot would lead that charge. But currently, the company's sole U.S. presence is a car-sharing service called Free2Move that operates in Washington, D.C. I'd like to think that modern American car buyers will take quirky take to the quirky French crossovers with more enthusiasm than which greeted an Alfa Romeo dealership when they came back to the U.S., but time will tell. I don't know about where you live, but out here in Oregon, Fiat didn't do so well, while you can't drive two miles without seeing at least a few Jeeps of one sort or another. My two cents? Well, Jeep and Ram should have left when they had the chance and reformed a new Mopar automaker presence globally, leaving behind the sinking Italian and French cars that nobody here in the States really wanted to begin with.
Well, if you've got a news tip or response to any one of our stories, either these or ones that we've uh, told in the past, be sure to let us know by phone or by email. Just head over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and find out how. Hey, coming up later in the show, interview with several manufacturers at SEMA 2019. You're listening to a 4x4 Radio Network podcast. It's that time again for us to uh, poke you about uh, paid subscriptions. If you're getting any benefit of our show, enjoy the show. Uh, I don't care. Whatever flimsy, flimsy excuse you want to come up with, go over there to jeeptalkshow.com and uh, click that little uh, uh, subscribe button. And, uh, you know, for less than a cup of Starbucks coffee a month, uh, well, maybe that's a bad example because I don't know if you're like me, if you take if you start cutting back your coffee intake, somebody's going to die. Anyway, for uh, for a little more than $2 a month, you get uh, all our uh, fun time episodes. Uh, and, uh, well, you get to feel good about uh, supporting the show. Hey, coming up in a little bit, we've got Nikki G chiming in. And, well, you, let's just say you probably want to have your tinfoil handy. You got tech questions? Ah, oh, what do I ever? We have answers. Oh, that's good. because I, I It's Tech Talk with Jeep Talk. Well, it's been a while since I gave some love to the YJ crowd. The YJ Wrangler, otherwise known as the Square Headlight Wrangler, was made from 1987 through 1995, and despite getting a bad rap for being completely leaf-sprung and still sported a carburetor until 1991, the YJ Wrangler is a capable platform to build from. By now, however, the chance of finding a clean YJ from someone who doesn't want an arm and a leg, or even finding one that, are, that is stock, is slim to none. Out here in the Pacific Northwest, virtually any and every YJ on the market has had some degree of modifications, I'm using that term loosely here, and customizations that people thought was a good idea at the time, and can be found in all sorts of conditions ranging from bad to worse. <laughs> but if you, got, if you just got one or maybe have had one for a while and not sure what to do with it, I'm about to go over some very easy, and here's the key word to all this, inexpensive ways to breathe some new life into the old powertrain of these old Wranglers. Now, what I'm going to focus on this week will be the engine primarily. Now, for what I'm going to cover here, it really won't matter if you have the 2.4 liter 4-banger or the 4-liter inline 6 or even the more rare 4.2-liter inline 6. All of these tips will still apply. Really, no matter what the engine is, the formula for healthy power is the proper proportion of air, fuel, and spark. Chances are that if your old YJ hasn't seen any engine love in a while, well, it might be lacking in some power. One of the easiest ways to get more power out of an engine is to get more air into it, or make it at least easier to get the air in. Ditch the restrictive factory air box and paper filter element. Nobody makes a complete cold air intake for a TBI 4-cylinder if that's what you have under your YJ's hood, but if you, if you exercise some ingenuity, you can fab something up that will work really well regardless of the engine that you have. Try this. Simply cut a piece of 2.5-inch exhaust tubing from your local auto parts store. They do sell them in small chunks, and you can get one that will fit. And clamp whatever air filter you can find laying around to the end of it. No, seriously, you can get a high-flow K&N type of air filter off the internet for less than 15 bucks. Now, although the additional air is going to help out some, well, you still have to address the spark and the fuel issues to address as well. 
Now, I'll move on to the plugs next because this is a very cheap and easy way to get some more power. Swapping out some old or misgapped plugs can make a huge difference. You can try and get fancy, but honestly, the older Jeep engines like the, like the old copper core plugs the best. They burn hot and they burn consistent, and that's what matters. Those platinum E3s or diamond fire plugs for many Jeepers have actually resulted in rougher idles and less power throughout the RPM range. With a little more air and working plugs properly gapped, you may want to inspect and or replace those plug wires, cap, and rotor. Yes, I know, this is basically just a tune-up at this point, but with some slight mods thrown in for the sake of performance. After cleaning out the cap, or replacing it, sanding the contacts on it and the rotor to get a bit rid of all the corrosion and oxidation, or heck, just replace all those as well if they're old, you'll just want to break out the multimeter and test the resistance in ohms of each of your wires. Most stock resistance type wires will run in the neighborhood of 10,000 to 15,000 ohms per foot of resistance. Any more than that, and the wire is likely bad. To get to the correct value, just measure your plug wires and do the math. I know, I know. I was told there would be no math. Scrounge up some wires from a friend's old tune-up or the one you did on that other Jeep, or maybe even your daily driver. Honestly, any plug wire, regardless of the vehicle it came off of, is going to be better than one that is frayed or worn out or just plain and simply broken. And what supplies the voltage to those wires? Why, the coil, of course. If your YJ still has the factory coil mounted to the firewall, then chances are you aren't producing as good of or as hot of a spark as you should be. Noxious fumes, poor performance, and gas mileage is just the start of what you're allowing to happen by keeping that old coil in the system. New coil for the YJ Wrangler is also less than 20 bucks pretty much wherever you go, providing you're not trying to go with something fancy like an MSD system or you know something like that. The positive and the negative posts on the factory coil simply clip into two female connectors on the ignition control module. Over time, these connections can get grimy and corroded. So if buying a new coil isn't in the cards, you can help refresh the one you got by cleaning the contacts with a wire brush. Spray them off with a little carb cleaner and put some dielectric grease on them. Although it's a pain to find the right bullet terminals, you can install an aftermarket coil mounted remotely if you build a couple of jumper wires. Really easy to do if you have the spare parts laying around. If you don't want to trust the old bullet connectors, you can use some spade-type connectors crimped onto the brass ignition control module's terminals. But be careful not to break off the fragile brass connectors, though. You'll be spending some money on a new ignition module after all. Run a couple of tanks of premium through the system to help clean things out and enjoy the newly restored power you now have back in your old YJ Wrangler. Do you have anything to add to this? Or maybe you have a question for Tech Talk that you would like for us to cover. Just head over to jeeptalkshow.com contact and send us a message. Let us know what you would like us to talk about. From around the world. Or from your city. And sometimes just down the street. Howdy, neighbor. It's the Jeep Talk Show interview. My wife and I were able to meet up with Kevin and Scott from On the Trail podcast in the North Hall at SEMA. And after they recorded some video of us chatting, I was able to do a bit of an interview with them. All right, guys, we're still here at SEMA, and uh, I ran across a 4x4 network 
uh, alumni uh, member, uh, both uh, uh, Kevin and Scott. Now, I'm sorry, you're you're which one? Are you Kevin or Scott? Uh, I, would, I would be Scott. Okay. And, and that makes you Kevin. Scott? No, I'm Kevin. Okay. There we go. <laughs> I'm the old one. <laughs> the, the zip ties didn't give it away, did it? I have a pocket full of them somewhere. No, wait, he confiscated it. Yeah. No, Tony, uh, it's good to see you here. It's really wild to run in a, uh, as you say, an alumni, fellow alumni from the 4x4 Radio Network. So... So I got to say, you guys have been doing a great job. Uh, I think you got too many uh, uh, anti-liability uh, messages on your on your show. Like you, you got to read the instructions. I mean, you know, reading instructions. I know you're an engineer and you got to read instructions. But do you read instructions when he's not watching? I plead the fifth. <laughs> He'll never admit to it. Not not while I'm standing here. You know, I need to go walk a booth away, and then you can ask him a question like that. The, the reading of instructions is the last thing you do after a long string of expletives. Yeah, pretty much. It's, it's the reading of the instructions going, what did I do wrong? I have extra parts and oh, crud, I forgot figure A slot B into subsection 4 written in French. So, But you have to have extra parts anytime you're doing it, even an engine build. Well, duh, you make it faster and better and lighter. Lighter, I like that. So if you guys are not aware of the On and Trail podcast, they're a member of the 4x4 Radio Network, and they're out here at SEMA. This is your first time out here as, a, as the show, right? That would be correct, sir. Yep, yeah, and loving every minute of it. So uh, I bet, uh, have you re-engineered anything while you're out here? Uh, <laughs> do I have to answer that, Scott? <laughs> oh, you can take the fifth, too. I'm just glad I'm hitting the hard-hitting questions. Oh, yeah, the other hard-hitting. Yeah, I've actually got some additional plans, some additional ideas. Scott sits there, and we walk away from a booth, and he looks back, and I'm still standing there talking to the guy and asking questions and getting the tech data because, yeah, this has raised quite a few plans in my head for future work, both on... Uh, uh, slightly altered, and uh, a few of my buddies doing other builds who said, you know, hey, go, go find out if this works. Go find out if that works. Figure out which one's better. So, yeah. So, uh, I'm sure Scott has already told you whenever he was, uh, he posted up a picture on uh, Instagram, I think, about getting on the plane, and I asked if uh, you were down talking to the ground crew about if they had gone through all the steps for the, the pre-flight checks for the uh, for the jet. Did he tell you about that? Uh, no, he didn't, but that's, that's quite uh, to be expected from Scott, and no, I wasn't. I was already in Texas. Well, no, I, blame me. I was asking him. <laughs> so, no, because I listen to the show. I love your guys' show. I know Scott knows I, I listen to the show because he gets this massive emails after every show asking questions and uh, pointing out things and stuff like that. So I really enjoy the show. It's really technical, and uh, you guys both do a great job with it. Uh, I need to help you with your jokes, though, because uh, they're they're a little, they need a little bit more to, to them. They're a little flat. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> uh, I'm lying because they're just as bad as mine. It's off-roading. I have to air down your tires. You have to air down your jokes, too. Got to make it easier to get through the show. I got that. But you guys do a great job uh, explaining things. If you're not listening to the On the Trail podcast, you should, as well as all the 4 Buffalo Radio Network shows. They're all great shows. They're absolutely fantastic. You really should be listening to them. Otherwise, we wouldn't be telling you on the show to listen to the shows. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> I'll go with that. Hey, my byline is honest answers. I'm not going to pull punches. You know, we tell you what works as well as what didn't, which is probably more important. And as far as it goes, these shows work. So I also want to mention, too, that you guys are more than just behind the mic. You guys go out and help people, uh, train them uh, off-road, and you're located in Florida. Is there a way other than the show, or would that be the way to contact you guys if they wanted to get a class or learn more about uh, off-roading? We don't actually host the class themselves. What we do is we basically team up with other other uh, cl- clubs or shops and then use them as 
basically, I guess the way you could put it is the liability. You know, let let them handle all the liability. We'll just come in and tell fart jokes. Well, let, yeah. let, I got you. That's let, it. Let's be nice. We let them handle the organizational part. That's we just come way. in as either the MC, the teachers, the trainers, whatever you want like that. So we're out there. We work with a whole bunch of different groups and clubs in the Central Florida region that contact us and say, hey, will you come give a winching class? Will you take a bunch of newbies out and show them how to wheel without breaking their uh, their Jeep or their nerve uh, or those kinds of things. So, you know, we, we kind of go out uh, on a pro bono basis and just help people. Yeah. It's Jeepers helping Jeepers. So you're actually out there in front of the folks and helping them, and that's a great thing to do. Uh, it's a lot easier to sit at home and, you know, make witty comments on uh, social media posts. So uh, I salute you guys for doing that. Now, um, what part of uh, Florida are you guys in, or, or when you guys are doing this, where are you going? Uh, as far as wheeling goes, uh, such as wildlife man- management areas, um, Tampa Bay area basically is where we're based out of. I currently moved to Wesley Chapel now, and he's still in Riverview, so it's still about 30 miles between us. But as far as everything else goes, there's unfortunately not a lot of wheeling, which will actually be an upcoming episode because we did a dune buggy thing out here on public land. If you have public land, keep it. It's very, you know, it's, it's, it's a treasure. You have to do in the Tread Lightly program to keep your lands. Don't be silent because... You will lose them if you if you aren't proactive, if you don't clean up after yourself, if you don't stay on the trail. I hate to say it, you will lose the right to use that land, and that's going to be a horrible loss to all of us. I uh, as as much as I uh, uh, bad tal- badmouth personally, uh, California, they have a lot of areas that you can wheel in, and I don't know if you guys are aware of this. Texas is the most fenced. Company, uh, 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 state in the United States. I was shocked when I went riding around right after I did the lift on my Jeep looking for some place to go. And I figured there was some place you could just take off onto, into the wilderness. Oh, God, no. Now, uh, switching gears, did, I remember you guys have been promising videos to your uh, to your lit- uh, listeners. Uh, is the videos that you're doing out here at SEMA, is that part of that? Or is the, the other, you've got something else coming up? Uh, some of the videos are going to be on um, on the, our YouTube channel. Um, again, just kind of interview videos, stuff like that. Um, to, to get the show, show recording videos, that's a Patreon exclusive. But as far as everything else goes, we're dabbling in the video. We're kind of learning. You, know, you guys have been well established with videos, obviously. But we're kind of learning it. It's kind of cool. something neat to do and fun and challenging and to prove the fact we have a face for radio. <laughs> very, very well said. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good comment, face for radio. But we, we actually have already uh, posted for public the SEMA Day 1. Uh, we actually put even a shorter one out on the pre-day where you, like us, media had to go back in and get our badges and get in processed and validate that we really were media. Um, even some of us that are more comedy than, uh, you know. <laughs> comedy is media, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. It it's is, a it format. Uh, but uh, So that video is already up for our listeners as well to get an overview of uh, the floor we're standing in here, which is, uh, what, South Hall, Floor 2, the 4x4, and Off-Road Floor. So uh, tell me real quick, uh, give me a little uh, synopsis of your show for anybody that hasn't listened to the show yet. Uh, how often do you put the shows out, uh, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, that's the first of the 15th. We, we kind of keep things low-key because uh, our schedules are so busy, planning and, and coming up with show topics. You guys actually travel to, to one of you two's houses to record, so you're doing it in person every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah we do uh, all the recording in person. That way I can sit there and stare at him and make an eye contact and lose. Make, again, that's my tagline. I look like to derail this man's train of thought. So I can do things. I can make like little funny faces and have him just sit there and smack his head and go, oh, my God, why am I doing this with this guy? But in all fairness, Scott does the video editing for the podcast, 
I do, I'm sorry, he does the audio editing, I do the video editing, so when Scott's making funny faces at me, we use a three-camera format for our Patreons, which means we've got the, the wide view, a Scott cam, and a Kevin cam. So our Patreons see it when Scott's cutting up, and I will use video editing as necessary to enhance the moment, shall we say. Excellent. I like that. <laughs> I like that you guys do uh, you know, share the duties on that. Uh, so, uh, and maybe this is kind of what you're already doing, but have you guys considered, or maybe already doing, some behind-the-scenes uh, type stuff? Actually, we dropped an Easter egg for our Patreons on the last show video. Uh, after talking about changing out the multifunction switch in my TJ, we took the uh, GoPro out and set it up on the roll bar and did an over-the-shoulder for the whole process. And so they got to see everything from drop screws to uh, <laughs> to the plug won't unplug and come out and how I did an in-round around it by just disassembling the module itself and swapping parts. They make those damn things to, to click in and click out. Why the hell can't get, I, I ever get them apart? It seems like I'm going to break it. You haven't seen that one meme? I think you've shared it where the devil goes, come on, let me make one thing. And that, that wasn't allowed to do. He, they made that little stupid clip. And the guys <laughs> over here at iDrive, they, they, they unclipped the clip. They almost made a comment saying, uh-huh, that's not a real clip. It came out way <laughs> too easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not yeah, one that's been sitting that underneath a Jeep at 200, mile, uh, 200 uh, degrees temp for uh, six months. Yeah, <laughs> we all know about Chrysler's little red sliding lock. And that's uh, the, supposed to unlock supposed to <laughs> and I put so, that in air quotes. so I'm sorry this is going so long but I got one more question you put on an Edelbrock head onto your TJ right and I heard some amazing results from that was that just from putting that Edelbrock I mean lifting one tire off the ground with the torque a driver's side tire I believe well in honesty no you can't do one piece of a system um, but the, the point was is the heart of the systems the Edelbrock head it provided the increased airflow and the potential is the best way to think of it. Well, I'm sure you put a bigger throttle body on there, but what, what else? Actually, I didn't. That's the funny thing. Your Jeep has a 52 millimeter throttle body, which is already considered a large throttle body. Well, what you're going to find, if you have a TJ, and is the air intake system is constrained and neck down to 34 millimeters in the cross pipe. So I changed it to a Ram Air Snorkel by uh, Kenny Hawk on River Raiders. Did a... Um, an Air Raid 6-inch uh, cone filter, which flows air better. It went with a full 3-inch system pirated out of the tuner world. Uh, and then on the exhaust side, you have to balance in without. Went with uh, a header by uh, Banks. Uh, Magnaflow does a beautiful high-flow CAT system that is 50-state legal. And then uh, Borla stainless exhaust, just because I like the way Borla sounds. So I uh, basically matched the head's airflow dynamics with the intake and the exhaust and uh, scared myself the first time I launched it. Scotland. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so well, when you said you balanced all that, were you going by uh, the factory specs for the airflow or did you actually measure that stuff? Uh, it's uh, I use factory numbers to put the system together and a little bit of engineering books to look up the the diameter I needed in pipes and things like that. But I also was able to talk to the guys at Edelbrock and when you are engineer to engineer, they'll answer a few questions. For example, they're not going to tell you which uh, header system you should use. They're just not gonna do that, okay? But if you ask the guy like I did, I said, well, will you ask uh, answer a question about what did you use when you guys did your validity testing? Uh, I said, whose brand did you use? What header? And, and the guy actually said, 
wait a minute, let me go check and make sure I can answer that. And he came back and said, actually, that's a legitimate question. And he told me that they used the bank's head to get their flow rates. Uh, so that was, oh, not the bank head, but the header. And uh, so that's the way I was able to talk to them engineer to engineer and get some information that I'm looking for high fl airflow rates not what's going to give me the biggest power. I know how to get power. I just needed to know what was the best way that they used. So, well, and if you can keep your foot out of it, you, did you see a, uh, a mile per gallon, <laughs> a mile per gallon increase in it, or were you able to keep your foot out of it long enough to see? It was very difficult to keep my foot out of it. Uh, and I didn't probably get any mileage tests for about two to three months because it was just too much fun. Uh, in fact, it scared me a couple times because if you're making a turn and don't think about it and you're going for that gap in traffic and you put your foot down, you'll do more than lift the tire up. It'll actually slide the suspension sideways and when it comes back down, you sound like a 747 landing. But uh, yeah, actually, it's not huge. And I tell you that in our show is that I basically saw about between a half and one mile per gallon increase if you can keep your foot out of it. Uh, but if you're getting six miles to the gallon to start with, percentage-wise, that's really good. Yeah, I, I, I went from about 11, uh, along with the other mods that I did, which was gearing ratios to get me back up my power band. I can now, on the highway, if I'm setting and cruise, I'll do maybe 14, which isn't bad for a TJ. No, that's really good, uh, especially if it's decked out for off-road stuff and large tires. Now, but you have an LJ with the proper color LJ too. How is that? Uh, how's that LJ doing for you? Do you like that? Ex that extended. <laughs> I'm so glad this isn't for video. I love the LJ. I, it was my, it's my best purchase I ever made. My my wife, she said you're getting your LJ, and her, she was on Facebook. She was on all the places trying to find it. Six-speed Rubicon LJ. It's my unicorn. I love it to death. It had to be. We're red. we're not kidding when we call them our financial department. They hold the purse strings real tight. <laughs> and of course, it had to be red, my least favorite color. I know it's your favorite <laughs> color. So literally all day long, I'm sitting here going. When you said that, good thing it's not on video. My shoulders just sank. <laughs> my whole body went. Oh. Well, that's just until you guys do the on the trail wrap, right? And then you, when you wrap your vehicle, you could put whatever color you want on there. I'm looking at doing wraps. I am researching wraps. So cough. I, <laughs> I did try wrapping, and I. I can tell you right now, if you've ever seen my three-year-old cut and paste from uh, elementary school, you'll see why it didn't come out very good. Wrapping is very difficult. I just put a, a big-ass uh, Jeep Talk Show sticker on mine, and first time I'd ever done it. Now, I've tinted windows before, and it's very similar. Uh, if you use a heat gun, it, it, it works a lot better. But it's not perfect, but I was doing it cheap. Well, well, Scott's first attempt, he said, well, let me try the hard part. So he pulled the scuttle off and tried to wrap the scuttle with all the air intake slots, the wiper, the uh, the sprayer nozzle. Well, the sprayer nozzle on the hood, but, you know, and he was kind of like, it didn't work. And I'm like, well, yeah, but, you know, you can peel it off and try again. If you're going to get a dog, get a uh, St. Bernard. If you're <laughs> going to get a horse, get a Clydesdale. If you're going to go for the hardest part, go for the cow. <laughs> Well, God bless you for trying the hard stuff first. That would be very difficult. Uh, it's like you see those people putting window tint in the really curved glass of the car with all the bubbles. <laughs> I could talk to you guys a long time, but we're going to wrap this up. Thanks a lot for being here. Glad you guys were able to stand here and wait for me to find out where I was, just so I could find out where you guys uh, was. And, and actually, we did a video. Uh, is that video going to be for everybody or just your Patreon? Everybody. 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 Yeah, we're we're going to show everybody what you look like, so just be ready for, for the feedback. He was, By the way, he's the tall one and the good-looking one of the group. <laughs> just so you know, it was easy to find us. We were next to the Gladiator. <laughs> Very good. There's a lot of goddamn gladiators out here. Uh, Jeep did us something good. I guess you just have to wait 30 years to build another truck, a Jeep truck. Yeah. <laughs>
No, I'm handy with a cutting torch just like I am with uh, other tools. I'm hoping that they make a two-door with a, a decent departure angle. <laughs> we told I, I want a two-door with a decent departure angle along with a diesel. We told the guy at Dana that uh, at the, in the booth, we said, you know, hey, you know, they need to make this two-door. He goes, yeah, I haven't heard that one yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. All right, thanks, Tony. It was great meeting Kevin and Scott and their lovely wives. Thanks again for making the time for us. Uh, if you're not already uh, already subscribed to the On The Trail podcast, just go over to onthetrailpodcast.com and find out all the ways that you can listen to this very informative show. Well, while wandering around aimlessly at SEMA, I saw the Viair banner and had to stop by. I personally have the Viair onboard air system and love it. I've been trying to arrange an interview with Viair, and luckily Ryan at Viair Booth had time to do a brief interview. Hey, boys and girls, we're back out here at the, the uh, SEMA 2019, and uh, I stopped by uh, Via Air, and uh, we're going to talk to Ryan Morgan from Via Air. How's it going, guys? So, um, now you guys, I think everybody that uh, has a Jeep knows about onboard air, and you guys, I think, have the market on it. I mean, when I think of onboard air, I think of Via Air. Okay, yeah, perfect. We uh, obviously service a lot of the Jeep market between onboard air systems, portable compressors. We've actually got some new products that I can show you guys and talk to you a little bit about them. So uh, how, how long have you guys been around uh, doing this? I mean, I've known about you ever since I got a Jeep way back, and I think I started building mine in 2005. Yeah, we've been around since 1998, so it's been about 22 years. Uh, we did our 20th year anniversary out here two years ago um, and just keep chugging along. How many, uh, how many SEMAs is this for you? Uh, for me personally, this is my third. I've been with a company going on seven years. Um, we actually do every other year at SEMA just because it's such a big project for everybody, and we uh, kind of light on manpower, but it's uh, definitely a good show to come out to, show some new products, and get our faces out here. So you said you're only out here every other year, so it's just by luck that you're out here at the same time I am. Yeah, it, luck, I guess. Well, is well I had a 50-50 <laughs> shot, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, what are you new, you, the new products that you were talking about? So we've got a, a new H automatic compressor. What it is, is it's a uh, base model of our portable systems. And what we were noticing is that a lot of people are taking the portables, they're removing the sand tray, they're cutting off the battery clamps, and they're hard mounting them in the Jeeps. So what we did is obviously if you're modifying a portable compressor, that voids the warranty. So we're going to actually create a product that fits into that market. That way nobody has to buy it and modify it. It's just built and ready to go. So why were they doing this? I mean, you guys sell uh, mountable uh, compressors. Why were they doing this? Uh, mainly because people know about the portables. The two portables that they were looking at is the 400P automatic and the 450P automatic, which has the built-in pressure switch, and that enables you to use the gas station style inflation gun. So they would take those portables. We didn't have a hard mount option that had that built-in pressure switch unless you go with a full onboard air system. So we, uh, we modified those compressors and, uh, and got those out to market. We'll be releasing those sometime next year. They're still in testing and production, so they'll be coming out. So basically, they were being cheap. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, were, they would see the shows on the, or the deals on the portables at the shows, and uh, they would buy those and say, hey, I can modify this and hard mount it. And we, we don't prefer people to modify them, so we wanted to come out with something that was going to fit that need for the market. Well, that's great that you did that. You saw a need, and you uh, fit that need by uh, actually making it where people don't have to work. They just buy, for, buy it. Is it about the same price as the unit they were modifying or, or less? Yeah, it's actually going to be around the same price point. Obviously, we're removing some components, so that'll bring the pricing down. It's also going to come with a 30-foot coil hose and then a tire inflation gun and also a carry bag to store those in. So it, it's going to come as a complete kit ready to go. All you got to do is wire it up, install it, and you're, you're going to have air. 
Well, you know, it, it sounds like a lot of Jeepers. They hack at things and they're cheap. They have to be so they can buy other Jeep parts. Right, right. Yeah, everybody tries to switch those pennies out so they can spend them on tires and things that they think more is important. But, I mean, everybody needs air. You're going to air down to go off-road. you got to get air back in those tires once you go back on-road and stop at a gas station. you got to put quarters in those machines. Half the time they don't work. Um, so we've kind of cornered the market and come up with a solution for everybody. Or, or you can stand in a really long line at the park when they have an air station <laughs> and wait, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, some of those lines get pretty crazy. And uh, if you're the one guy that's got onboard air or portable, you could probably sit there and charge people 10 bucks to fill up the tires and they'd do it. Pay, you could uh, uh, pay for the, uh, the Vi Air uh, compressor system that way. Now, are you an off-roader? Do you have a Jeep? Uh, I do not. I've actually been in the air suspension market, but in my previous days, we were uh, an off-road family. We had quads and uh, some off-road vehicles and trailers and things like that. So we uh, obviously via our services, a lot of different markets. We get into air suspension, agriculture, industrial, off-road's a big one for us. So we kind of spread out in between a lot of different markets, and it definitely helps us out. A lot of people know about us, and the off-roaders will use it in other applications and vice versa. So Yeah, well, I mean, you, you need one on your tow rig too, don't you? Exactly, yeah, and we actually, a lot, a lot of the Jeepers probably don't know it, but we actually have some RV-specific compressors that we've released, and they've got longer coil hoses, 60 feet, um, plus the power cord, which is 8 feet, so you're getting almost 70 feet total. So if you've got a trailer that you're towing behind a, a truck that's carrying your Jeep, or if you've got a motorhome, we've got a solution for just about everything. Now, uh, I think you, you mentioned something about airbags. Do, do people run these on the airbags? Do you guys have an airbag system? We don't do the actual airbag system. We do the air source for the airbags, but we use a lot of, or we deal with a lot of the manufacturers that use our compressors in their systems. Um, so getting in the air suspension market or Kelderman that does the off-road kits, uh, they use all our compressors, airlift. Um, so... Cool. Well, thank you a lot for taking the time to talk with us, and I hope you don't get fired for actually doing this, doing the interview with the Jeep Talk Show. Yeah, again, I apologize for the decline on that. I'm glad we could uh, meet up here at SEMA 2019 and get that all squared away, and hopefully we can work together in the future. Great. Thank you very much. All right, no problem, Tony. Bayer's uh, booth was packed with all kinds of compressors. I had no idea they had such a wide variety. Uh, it's too late to stop by their booth now, but you can still visit their site at viaair.com, V-I-A-I-R.com, and look at what they have available for you. So I had another chance to see Paul Joe, uh, Motorsports Senior Manager at Next Entire America. You may recall Paul and Don Alexander were responsible for inviting the Jeep Talk Show out to be a part of a small group to ride the trails on Gold Mountain in Big Bear Lake, California a few months ago. It was good to see Paul again and get to talk more about Jeeps and, of course, the Nexen Tires. Hey, guys, we're out at SEMA 2019, and we're going to talk to Paul with the Nexen Tires USA. Now, uh, Paul, how's it going? What do you, you know, I know you've been to the SEMA get-together before. Well, this is uh, my 27th straight SEMA, so, yeah, I'm definitely used to it. Yeah. <laughs> so what is the biggest changes that you've seen in the 27 visits you've been out here? Well, you know what? I, I've noticed a lot more um, the new vehicles like the new Vet, Supra, um, the Gladiator. Um, but I think uh, the trend is changing a little bit, but there's not a really big changes on vehicles at the moment. So I think everybody's just trying to figure out what makes it attractive. Um, and I think there's a lot of new vehicles that doesn't have certain parts, so that's why a lot of brands are out here showcasing their new products. So it's hard to say, like, what are the big changes? But, and obviously, you know, the trend itself, you could see a lot of different improvements per vehicle. 
Now, the reason why I ask is I've only been here once before, and that was 2013, and I haven't been all over SEMA yet, but I'm seeing a lot less cars and a lot more SUV, trucks, and Jeeps. Uh, are you not seeing that same trend? Uh, you know, that's a good thing that you mentioned that because when we did our research from, let's just say, last year versus 10 years ago, um, even if you Google SEMA vehicle, um, when you look at it, 10 years ago, you'll see a lot of... Um, the sedans with 22s and 24s, the dub scene. Um, now you look at it, you see a lot of the Jeep and trucks. That's what you're seeing. Um, also, SEMA noticed that, so they're trying to change. Um, you don't want too much of the big trucks. And what, what that does is, you know, you're, you're only focusing on certain market or some of the big trucks are blocking other, other cars. So, you know, people don't like it. So they're trying to be very diverse. Um, but that is a trend. I mean, and I think uh, the off-road scene is big, but it's still growing in a different way, such as like Overland. Um, so that's growing as well. So there's definitely different vehicles, and there's it could be same vehicle, same Jeep, but now they're changing the style and they're coming up. So I think when it comes down to vehicle, yeah, there's some empty spots, um, and I think that's because they've been expanding, and also the convention center has been changing. So that's why there's a lot of changes. So the layout has been changing. So. Um, I think they didn't sell certain spots, but it's definitely still big. Oh, yeah, it's huge. Uh, I mean, it's at least as big as it was way back then and probably bigger. Like I said, I haven't been over the whole thing yet. And, and I don't want to say there's not cars. Either. There's some beautiful 67 Camaros and, you know, there's cars. It just doesn't seem like there's the, the same attention to the, the, the fast cars as there has been. Now, you were talking earlier about the, the off-road expo, um, the overlanding uh, part, not having a, uh, a big interest uh, yet. And I was really surprised about that because it seems like overlanding, everybody seems to be interested in overlanding. It's kind of like, do you want to go camp? And everybody says, yeah. Well, I think the overland market, what's interesting about that is, uh, you know, you have the transition between the off-road and overland people. But also on the overland, it could be a lot of different type of vehicle. When it comes to rock crawling, you only focus on certain vehicle. But overland, I mean, te technically, you're camping with any type of vehicle. So you got from vans to, like, you know, some of the sedans actually being raised a little bit and going overland. So, um, you know, definitely the overland market is growing and different. But also, I think the, um, how would I say, the maybe not just the demographic, but it's, there's different culture in it. So you don't just see people who's into hot rod or just trucks going into overland. You see a lot of the import scene actually going into overland. So some of the guys that used to drag race or drift or doing time attack, and some of those guys, now they're mature, they have kids, they have money now, so as much as they have their sports car, now they're buying like Tacoma or, or you know, Forerunner, and they're, they're building Overland. So the market is definitely growing, and it's going to be more diverse. Yeah, and I would think, now I know you can spend a lot of money on Overland, but I think it would probably be cheaper than drifting and stuff, especially in tires. Definitely. Um, I think drifting is a money pit, you know, as much as I love it, but it's definitely a money pit. Um, but yeah, Overland, I think it's, it's, it's different because, you know, when you go to like, let's just say different Overland Expo, people who attend, they don't just come out and looking for product, what they're going to, you know, what's cool. They actually come to some of this place and they actually buy and they spend thousands of dollars. So... You know, you go to some races, maybe the, the average income could be under 100, but I think Overland is definitely in the mid-hundreds. So it's, it's a different. 
Well, it goes back to that more established, more mature, and, and usually that means more, more money in the bank account. So, uh, now of course, uh, you're out here for Nexon, NexonTireUSA.com, and uh, we've, we've been trying to tell the folks, the listeners, about uh, the Nexon tires. I recently got a set, uh, took them off-road. Just amazing. I didn't, didn't do anything uh, wild, but the same type of thing that we saw out in Big Bear Lake where they didn't really want to slip around. They would just stay where, they, where you wanted to go. Uh, very predictable behavior, even, all, even in all that mud that was out there that weekend. Great tire, and it was great driving the uh, four hours from uh, Houston to the Dallas area. So uh, I've just been very impressed with them. I don't remember ever having a tire, because I've, I've had uh, BF Goodriches until now. And I've, I've never remember getting a, a set of BF Goodriches, and I go, holy crap, this is just how smooth, how quiet, and, uh, and how well it works off-road. So you guys, now I think when we talked last, you guys were actually possibly looking at larger than 37s? Uh, you know, we've been pushing that. Um, I think it's still a little bit too early because we haven't, um, I wouldn't say peak, but uh, we are working on the sales program first, you know, to max out to a certain point and then we'll invest. So we, internally, we are talking about that. We are talking about larger than 37, but it, it does take a huge investment. Um, obviously, the company is focusing globally. So we just opened a, a brand new factory in Europe and that cost us a, a billion dollar. Oh. So obviously, uh, the company's going to, you know, take a step back on investing a lot more. So it's a matter of time. Um, and I think there's still enough market for us to, you know, push into the 37s and under still. But I think in the future, yes, the bigger size will have to happen. Good, because I don't think there's a lot of people out there buying the 39s and the 40s, but there's an interest in it. They, they'd like to know that, I guess once they get by a tire and they like it, they would like to see some room for growth. Uh, pun not, not intended. <laughs> so uh, I'm just trying to give them hope on the 39s or 40s. Yes, actually, you know, and sometimes from a, a tire company, you know, we have to look at what tires, what size is actually focused on sales. And some size you could focus on actually marketing. So, you know, sometimes, you know, if we're making a 40 or 42, for instance, we don't want to focus those size as a sales. Maybe the market's not big enough, but those market can be focused as a marketing because some of the crazy vehicles require that 40 or 42. So we have to build that tire purely on a marketing base. So it's a matter of our strategy. So it's internal battle, what we got to do and when we're going to do it. But um, at least there's some understanding. So I think we have some bright feature on that. Yeah, well, if you want to be out, uh, be, have tires on vehicles out here at SEMA, they got to be 40s. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, 40s definitely is a standard for SEMA. But, you know, again, um, you know, we, we haven't sold enough 37s yet in the market as a market share. So we still got room to grow. So we're not in a big, big rush, but we definitely know what we're lacking and what we need. So we're standing here next to the, the Nexon Hero. You guys have already given away uh, a Jeep truck to a, a Purple Heart uh, recipient. Uh, that uh, I think people actually uh, send in uh, names of individuals? Yes, actually, uh, you could go to our website or, you know, through many different sources. But, um, you know, we're, we're giving away right now the Jeep JL. Um, but the previous one, we did a Gladiator. Um, you know, so we are working with Purple Heart Foundation, but it is open to all veterans. Um, so you go into a website and submit the story you, so you can nominate someone saying, you know, what they went through. So we will work with Purple Heart and other people and figure out, you know, I wouldn't say who deserve it. I think everybody does deserve it. But we could only choose one. 
So based on that, we choose one person, and then that person will be flown to New York. And when we're giving it out, we'll do it at New York uh, with the Fox News. Um, so this will be our third third program that we're launching. So um, you know, we're hoping that uh, we get a lot of great stories that we could share. Um, and ultimately, that's the the main thing is to appreciate all the veterans that you know risk their life out there for us. Um, so you know, it's a small token that you know maybe not the right value but it's definitely we want to show the appreciation so that's why we started that program yeah no i think it's great i, I love supporting our troops and uh, i was surprised to uh, to see this not that nexon wouldn't do something like this but it was uh, sp- specifically for our veterans and i thought that was wonderful and love seeing the i saw the fox news giveaway for the jeep truck and it was uh, it was very uh, maybe maybe be proud to be an american Definitely proud to be American. I mean, and also, you know, we work with, on this um, JL build, you know, we had guys up in uh, All J product up in Big Bear that helped us build it. Uh, Rugged Ridges provided all the parts from wheels down to the bumpers, the winch, every little thing. So we have great partners. And I think uh, we've grown to the point where we realize a lot of brands out there want to support it together because we are all focusing on the same people, the veterans. Um, so it's, it's a great program. It's keep on growing, and we want to continue and just give things back. Yeah, that's great. Paul, thank you a lot for making time. I know you're really busy out here uh, talking to everybody about Nexon Tires, and uh, I can't say enough good things about the Nexon Tires. I just want to uh, thank you again for having me out to Big Bear Lake and showing me how the Nexon Tires work because I was going to buy another set of BFGs, man. Well, I definitely appreciate the interview because, you know, I, I, like I said before, I was going to get a Jeep. Now I have one. It's at SEMA, it's ready, so I'll be uh, now I'm part of the Jeep community, and I'm glad that I'm able to uh, say what I need to say to uh, the Jeep audience. So, I'm so, so does that mean the Toyota's on Craigslist? Uh, pretty soon. <laughs> All right, man, thanks a lot. All right, thank you. You know, if you're like me, it's tough to drop a bunch of money on a tire that I know nothing or, or go with a company that doesn't have a lot of word of mouth in the Jeep community. I bought a set of Nexon Rodian MTX tires recently and have already had them off-road. This is a very nice tire. I'll continue to report on my Nexon tires and you'll get the good and the bad if any exist. Thanks again for Paul for making the time for the Jeep Talk Show. Uh, and be sure and visit NexonTireUSA.com NexonTireUSA.com to find out more about the Nexon Rodian MTXs, the tire that is on my Jeep. The Black Magic Brake Pad was born on the racetrack, but exhibits the very unusual trait of outstanding cold bite, which makes it ideal for our Jeeps when we run larger tires and add weight and armor. Larger, heavier tires and wheels require more stopping power. Don't wait until you're trying to slow that rig down and you wish you had spent more time on beefing up your brakes. When they say Jeep brakes, they mean it. Jeep Commander, Liberty, TJ, XJ, ZJ, and of course the JK, just to name a few. Stop! Stop what you're doing right now and go to blackmagicbrakes.com and find out all the great products available for your Jeep. That's blackmagicbrakes.com. You know, when it comes to putting the power down in your Jeep, your tires are where the rubber meets the road. Or rocks, mud, sand, snow, I don't know, anything out there. Whatever you like to wheel, tire size and tread pattern are the two important factors to keep in mind whenever you decide to choose that next set of meets for your Jeep. Consequently, the riders at Extreme Terrain have uh, been hard at work crafting their library of technical guides, providing valuable information resource to the Jeepers everywhere. 
Today, Extreme Terrain is proud to show off their Jeep Tire Tech Guide on the Jeep Talk Show podcast as part of their November Jeep Talk Show sponsorship. Click on the link in today's JTS notes for episode 410, Tire's Guide, packed with charts, videos, and all the info you can handle on Jeep Wrangler tires. The J-Bar is a Jeep Wrangler hardtop removal hoist system. Rugged, lightweight, and simple to use, the J-Bar is the all-in-one solution to easily remove and store your Jeep Wrangler hardtop. The J-Bar fits both two- and four-door models from 2007 up to today's models. We can even custom fit the J-Bar cables to fit older models as well. J-Bars are manufactured in their shop located right here in the USA. The J-Bar kit comes with a manual winch so you can install your J-Bar in an area without power. You can use a battery-powered drill to quickly and precisely raise and lower your expensive Jeep top, or by hand, using the handle. The kit comes with the J-Bar padded straps, winch with a 25-foot-long cable, ceiling mount, and all the hardware and pulleys to have a complete top removal system that will last for years. If you want to use your own winch, the non-kit is for you. The non-kit comes with the J-Bar and padded straps. Great for the do-it-yourselfer, but when you still want the security and safety of a well-designed top removal system. Don't have a Wrangler, but you do have a Gladiator? Well, no problem. There's a J-Bar solution for that as well. Just visit jbar.com. That's the letter J-B-A-R-R.com right now and see which J-Bar solution is right for you. Coming up next week, Paul Fernandez from AutomotiveTouchUp.com. Hey, coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to start talking about some events that are happening in your hometown and maybe even around the nation in Wheeling Wear. So I stopped by the High Lift booth uh, while at SEMA and uh, found Steve. We interviewed Steve before on the show, but it was great to uh, be able to meet him in person. In my mind, there's really uh, no other choice for an off-road jack. Uh, for me, it has to be High Lift. And Steve makes some great points as to why this is uh, in this interview on the floor of SEMA. We're out here at SEMA again. We're talking to Steve from um, High Lift. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> There's so much walking. <laughs> so uh, I was over here talking to Warren and Boltlock, and then, of course, I saw High Lift and had to stop by. And I asked, is, uh, is Steve here? And they said, he's right behind you. <laughs> do you come to all these, Steve? I do. Uh, this is, uh, of course, the SEMA show is our big, big event of the year. And... Uh, so yeah, I've been coming here for, for several years. I won't tell you how many, because that, that'll date me, but uh, uh, pretty much every one of our outdoor events or uh, major trade shows, I'm, uh, I'm there. So do you hear any horror stories about uh, the, the high lift jacks? I would imagine not, because they're so well built, but uh, is there situations where people have just not done what they're supposed to do and come up and, and badmouth them? Well, it's it's like any product that uh, you know, it, it, especially any jack type product, you know, that lifts seven thousand pounds or any other lifting tool. It's it, it can be dangerous if not used correctly, and uh, we're not we're no strangers to that. Yeah, people, uh, I have heard some horror stories, um, but there's some very easy solutions to making sure that you can't be injured with a jack, and if people follow those instructions. Um, uh, they'll be just fine. Well, well, that's the problem right there, right? The follow the instructions, right? Yeah, we, us guys, we're not we're not made for reading instructions or sometimes following instructions. But uh, we try to do we try to be diligent about putting out videos uh, and uh, a lot of those types of things, resources out there to to help people understand how to be safe with the product. 
Now, I know you guys You guys have more products than, than just the Jack, but obviously that's what you're well known for. Now, you have a, a, at least two different sizes. Why would somebody want a, a Jack that's like almost six feet tall? Because I'm standing one here next to this beautiful uh, Gladiator uh, that's uh, set up vertically, and, and it's almost eye level with me. Well, we actually have more than two different sizes. We have uh, Jacks that are 36 inches tall, 42 inches tall, 48 inches, which is our most popular, and then 60 inches, which is what you're talking about, is much much higher, much larger. Um, 48 inch again is our most popular, but when you've got somebody that's um, using maybe 40, you know, 40 inch wheels and or tires and uh, uh, are lifting from their bumper, they may even have a two or three inch suspension lift on the vehicle. It takes just about all of that 60 inch jack to to get it off the ground if they're lifting from the bumper. But also, people use our jack as a winch. So if you imagine the jack being used horizontally instead of vertically, um, it gives you more more distance on your winching technique. Yeah, I can see that. Now, the thing that always scares the hell out of me whenever I'm using the, the Maha left jack, because I've got the 48-inch. It'll fit in the back of my X-jack. Um, like if I'm lifting it up and I'm getting kind of high up on the bar, uh, I'm always worried about that bar breaking. Have you ever had a situation where... They didn't go past the 7,000, and it actually bows and breaks? Never, I've never heard of any situation where the jack bar has broken. I've heard of situations where the jack bar has bowed. Um, and what happens sometimes when you're lifting, uh, you'll notice that the jack will start to lean one way or the other, just based on the load. What we always recommend is when that happens, sometimes the vehicle's kind of shifted a little bit, just lowering the load back down, restarting to get it, and, and to get a better lifting point. And, uh, yeah, if the jack gets to a certain point, um, if there's any shifting in the load, it, it, it can bow a little bit. Um, but we always recommend, too, is, you know, anytime you're lifting the vehicle with any type of jack, make sure that you've got it blocked and chopped. Um, you definitely don't want to do any work under the vehicle, uh, just supported by the jack itself. So. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I noticed that this uh, this Gladiator, a beautiful gray Gladiator uh, that you guys have on display here at SEMA, you have a, a high-lift jack on the hood, which I know is a popular thing to do, but somebody, a listener recently pointed out about the potential decapitation situation in a, in a crash. Uh, you, are you guys concerned about that, uh, people mounting those uh, high-lifts on the hood? Well, what we're mostly concerned about is a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the import stuff that comes in here that are knockoffs of what we make or you know other companies that haven't done the research that we have done with our own product and our own mounts um, everything that we make is tested thoroughly and um, it's using based off of using existing um, hinges and mounts that uh, or, or hardware from the uh, from the manufacturer um, I, I'm not concerned with that I know that some people are not big fans of putting the jack up there. I personally, it's not a place that I want to keep my. I would scratch my precious hood at yeah. some point getting it off there. It's it's not as hard to do as, as what is what you'd think, but uh, it's just not for me. But but there's a lot of people that really like the look of it there, and um, um, you know we we feel it's a it's a safe way to mount the mount the jack. So you don't uh, high lift has no concerns about, and you actually sell a mount for the hood. We do. We sell several different mounts for the hood for just about it. Well, for all Jeep Wrangler models, we sell them out for the hood. But those are the only vehicles that we sell, sell them for because of the way the hood is built and the hinges. We, we work off of the existing hinges. So the, the Jeep is the, is the only 
vehicle that that we work we do that well there you go folks you can mount it on the hood and feel safe about it because Hylif has checked it out and they feel like it's not going to become a projectile in a uh, in an accident no, we, we, we definitely feel feel good about it. You know, we make a lot of different mounting systems. You know, they're, um, even in the, the, like on the Jeep Gladiator, we've got a mount for the bed of the, of the using these existing bed rails. Um, you know, we have to do a lot of testing on all of those items because any of those situations, anytime you bolt anything on the outside of a vehicle, um, you, you're going to have issues with, with if the vehicle's in an accident you got to be real careful with it so it's not just the hood but it's everywhere that we have to be real careful with that and and we do we do testing with that now uh, the gladiator uh, you have this uh, this mount this uh, uh, bed mount and it actually uh, goes along the side of the bed and I would assume that you can mount on either side either the passenger or drivers you can you can mount on uh, on the passenger side or the or the driver side and uh, it's it's formatted to be a very tight fit it's made specifically for this this the gladiator so it's got uh, rubber bumpers on it too to help keep it from uh from there being any kind of rattle with the with the mount but uh it just works with the existing bed rail system and and you can mount the the brackets anywhere along the bed rail system that you want yeah and it looks like it uh you don't look like you lose anything if you're actually going to use your jeep truck to to haul anything (laughs) it doesn't look like you would lose that much space by having the jack in there and of course you have to have a jack uh, a, a jack and if you're going to have a jack you might as well have a high lift like everybody else does now the, the high lift comes in a couple of different colors i think red is the only one it should be in but but you you have other colors right red is our most popular i'll give you that um it's the original it's the original color uh that's been the most popular throughout the years but we do have other colors um they just the color differences really just reference different different models there are some some minor differences to all the different models of jacks but we have red black we have a kind of a gunmetal gray um, and uh, a patriot jack which is red white and blue and uh, that that jack is something that we uh, actually a portion of all our sales go to hope for the warriors which is a veterans group and then we just came out with our uh, our pj hara signature edition jack which is uh, kind of a throwback vintage jack that's green um, that uh, kind of mimics the original jack from back in 1905 when it was invented. Well, it was originally farm jacks used on the farm, right? Yeah, that's that's how they came about. It was it was an ag tool that was for uh, doing maintenance on tractors and implements uh, and pulling fence posts, a lot of different things on the farm. And you know, it just the, the off-road market really just kind of found us. To be honest, people started using it, and it became now it's about 50 50 about 50 percent of our our market sales are are to the ag market farm and home and then about 50 percent is to the off-road overland segment that's interesting i didn't realize that i mean there are a lot of farms in the country so that that's very interesting now unfortunately you didn't bite but i thought this would be a good thing to to point out i i was asking uh, steve when i walked up before i thought he knew who, who i was if if this is the same thing i see at harbor freight that's a little different um it's <laughs> Yeah, you know, they say uh, imitation is the best form of flattery. Um, so we, we're blushing by, by no means, you know. So it's, uh, there's a lot of import stuff out there that comes in uh, that tries to match our, our product and our, our, our quality. Um, we don't think they're anywhere close. And uh, we're not trying to be the, the cheapest jack on the market. We want to offer a product that is, is useful and safe and that people can feel good about, about using. Well, I mean, if you're off-road and you're in a bad situation where you need a jack, 
you don't want it. You make sure you want to make sure it works, and you don't want it coming down on you. So I, I'm pointing out. I was giving him a hard time, but I'm pointing out to you guys: get a high lift. Don't go to uh, the Harbor Freight and go. Oh, there's one, and grab it. Look for the high lift name. One of the things that we battle is that we've our name has been around there for so long. Again, the Jack was invented in 1905. Um, the high lift name has been around since the late 50s. So everybody calls our jack a high lift jack, whether it's ours or not. Um, so we, we battle that all the time. People just refer to the, any of these jacks as a high lift. So we have to constantly be educating people on that there is a high lift brand jack that is different from, from uh, the import stuff that's out there. I remember looking in Craigslist and uh, looking for uh, Jeep Cherokees before the, the new Cherokee came out and people would post up Grand Cherokees and I felt compelled to let them know that wasn't a Cherokee, damn it. It's a Grand Cherokee, so I can feel your pain. Right, yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's exactly true. Thanks a lot for making time for us and our listeners, Steve. No problem. We appreciate it. Thanks for stopping by our booth and, and uh, hopefully we've been able to educate you somehow. I know you've probably already been checking out the High Lift Jacks online, but on the outside chance you don't know where to go, it's high-lift dot com so hi the minus sign lift.com oh and be sure and get the red one we've interviewed dan several times twice while he was in africa and it was my great pleasure to be able to meet dan in person and i believe you will be able to also have a listen to dan's future plans in this interview at sema all right i happen to run across uh, uh dan Greck. you know him from several uh interviews here on the show he was talking to andy from warren i was bringing some stickers back to andy and there's dan so it saved me some trouble of finding you dan yeah it's funny it's seeing me here I, I keep trying to find people and i just bump into them randomly it's amazing there's just so many people here uh, i've i ran across somebody at the hotel last night that i saw him and i was 99 percent sure he was the person never met him before only a picture on facebook said his name and it was him it's it's amazing yeah i think he's he lives in california now and we all came here to sema and we just run across each other in the hall and it's hard to believe because i mean what there must be fifty thousand people here and and it's crowded and what are the chances of actually just bumping into someone yeah. but you do well i think i bumped into you because of andy we have andy in common so <laughs> now i gotta ask you oh well, let's remind people you actually took a trip around africa and it wasn't just piddling around you were there for a long time how long were you there that's right i was there for three years i drove fifty-four thousand miles through 35 countries so i went essentially all the way around the outside of africa now you were doing definitely overlanding because you were living in your vehicle and the really unique thing i think about this is you were in a jeep that's right yeah not a common choice for africa by any stretch of the imagination and I'm sure I've asked this before, but uh, why why did you choose a Jeep instead of, you know, like a, a Land Rover or some of the more, a Toyota, some of the more traditional? You know, the number one reason is they're so accessible here in the U.S. And I wanted to show people what's possible with a vehicle that, you know, anyone can just go and buy. And actually, I bought mine used. I was on a budget. So you don't need to import some like $100,000 strange Land Cruiser. You can just go and buy a used Jeep Wrangler and go and have these massive adventures. Now, I know at one point you actually had a, a bit of a spill. It, it rolled over. I think it was it got away by itself and it rolled backwards and then flopped over. Yeah, embarrassing story. But yeah, the, the emergency brake, the handbrake didn't work very well. And when I left it on a hill, it actually, the weight of the vehicle turned the engine over, overcame the engine compression. And so it rolled down a hill, hit a rock wall and that knocked it over onto its side. But you didn't really have any damage. And, and the locals actually have, helped you ride it, uh, get it back on its all fours. 
That's right, yeah. A bunch of locals pushed on the side and I winched off a tree, actually, with my worn winch. Uh, and then it was back on its wheels and actually it's covered in duct tape and it's on display here at SEMA and it still has that duct tape on it right now. Uh, just are, are you anywhere close? So we're at the Warren booth right now, but are you anywhere close? Because I certainly wanted to see this iconic vehicle that you you know went around Africa in. Yeah, I am. The Jeep's sitting uh, just outside the entrance to South Hall. And the roof is popped open, so it's it's pretty obvious to see. I'm really surprised I missed it because mm. you it's it's very easy to see. I mean, I'm very easy to recognize, I should say. Yeah. If, if you go out the front door, turn right, and then it's about five vehicles down on the right. So uh, now you recently met up with Tammy for the first time, uh, I believe. Yeah, that's right. We happened to cross paths in uh, Bedford, Virginia. Now. Um, my understanding was she pretty much outside her welcome, and, and I know you're way too nice, so you can just nod and, and indicate she was she just really just drove you nuts. No, I'm shaking my head. That is not true, Tony. <laughs> That's not what happened. <laughs> so there's a good shout out for Tammy there. Now Tammy was asking me. Uh, I think we were on the flight here, my wife and I, and she says, uh, "Do I have a a pass for SEMA?" <laughs> and I told her she had to fill it out, so she might actually be here. Oh, wow. I, I didn't expect them to be across this side of the country so soon. Nor did I, because I was trying to get them, uh, Josh and her both set up to be here so we could all three actually meet for the first time, but it just didn't work out. So she may actually be here. So you might want to keep a low profile. <laughs> I'm sure she'll find me. <laughs> she will. <laughs> so um, this has to be, and I'm sure this is just a common question, this has to be just amazing to you being by yourself primarily for so long and now being at SEMA <laughs> with all these people. Yeah, if there was any doubt remaining, uh, I'm definitely not in Africa anymore. Um, it feels like I'm on a different planet, Tony, to be honest. And it is bizarre to see how many people are excited about you know this overlanding thing. It's really hit the mainstream. Whereas, yeah, I was just out by myself for three years. I, kinda, I thought I was the only one. Overlanding is big. I, I think people like the idea of flat surfaces, primarily flat surfaces, and sleeping. <laughs> maybe maybe the cookouts. Yeah, that's right. And, and just being outside every day and, and doing what you want every day. Yeah, that's a big deal. Now, uh, I'm sure I asked you this in, 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 uh, in the past. What's the next thing for you, Dan? Next thing for me is hard to pin down right now. Um, I need to scrape some money together before I can hit the road again. And so I'm working on that. I'm, I'm writing my next book, which will launch in the springtime. Um, and then I'm going to do a speaking tour next summer. So I'll be booking community halls, libraries, venues like that, and giving kind of a, an hour long or an hour and a half presentation on Africa, on what I learned, the, the good parts, the bad parts, kind of the whole, you know, experience of, of what it was really like on the ground in Africa for three years. I think the biggest thing that, that I took away from our interviews was that uh, nobody shot you with an AK-47. It wasn't like what you see in the movies. It was actually a very pleasant experience for you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, people are friendly and happy everywhere. And no, I, I never had a gun pointed at me. I never heard a gunshot. So, you know, Hollywood has done a really bad job of sort of portraying what it actually looks like. Yeah. So uh, that's really cool. I like the speaking thing. That That's really cool. I think a lot of people are very interested in, in what you went through. And after three years, I would imagine you have a lot of great stories. That's right, yeah. And to be able to show and tell people, you know, genuinely this is what it's like if you drive into Sudan, you know, I think that's an experience that, that not many people are going to get to have firsthand. So I can share that and I can, I can help educate people as to what it really is like. I would predict that you would be pretty proud if you actually encouraged somebody to go off-road and maybe not Africa, but other countries and actually travel like you've done. 
Absolutely, Tony. Yeah, when it, when I started this whole idea of the road chose me and, and I'm going to have these adventures and document it, I said at the time if I could inspire one person to go for it, that would make me really happy. Yeah, I know Tammy wanted to leave the show immediately when we did that first interview. She wanted to leave the show immediately and, and meet out there in Africa with you and to stay with you the whole time. Um, so uh, the, let's remind people about the books that you already have out. Right, so I wrote a book called The Road Chose Me, Volume 1, and that's a written account of my journey from Alaska to Argentina. And the goal of that book is I want people to realize that they can do it as well. You know, you don't have to have a $100,000 vehicle. You don't have to have sponsors. Just a sense of, a sense of adventure is really all you need. Um, so that was my first book. And then I've published a photography book as well called 999 Days Around Africa. Now, the, the, I remember looking at the photographs on social media, Facebook and Instagram uh, for your stuff. Just absolutely beautiful photographs. So I, I wholeheartedly remember... Uh, I wholeheartedly uh, recommend both of those books because uh, I I know the pictures I saw. I haven't seen the ones in the book, but I'm sure they're the ones. I'm sure they're the ones. A lot of the same ones I saw. Gorgeous stuff. That that must have been just the the stars at night must have been impressive. On top of all the the, the scenery in Africa. That's right. There were so many kind of unexpected things, and the stars were one of them. Where you you, you sort of know that they're going to be there, but you're so busy on every day, you know, organizing logistics and getting fuel and getting food, and and then at the end of the day, when you're exhausted and you you sort of look up, all of a sudden you you get this huge wave of emotions of like, oh my god, I did not expect it to be like so beautiful. Um, this is probably not a fair question, but who has been the most impressive person you've met? You know, that's come up to you that you hadn't previously met, but the, they found you out because of your uh, your adventure. Here at SEMA is what I'm saying. Here at SEMA? Oh, that's a really tough question. Um, I did just bump into a fan, Rose, from Florida, who, who came up and was really excited to meet me, and that was like a random encounter. Isn't it so weird? Isn't it surreal, these people you don't know, that, that but they follow you, and they walk up and go, oh, my God, and, you know, but I'm just me. It is really strange, yeah, and, and when people ask for my autograph, I'm always like, are you, are you talking to me? So has any of them been a boob autograph where they want you to sign their boob? I have not had the pleasure yet, Tony. Female, I mean female. <laughs> no, that hasn't happened, and no, I won't sign your boob. <laughs> Dan, thanks a lot. I appreciate you taking the time for us. So welcome, Tony. It's a pleasure. You have to check out Dan's books. They're available on Amazon. And visit Dan's webpage, theroadchoseme.com. You know, it was great finally getting to meet so many people that we've interviewed in the past episodes of the Jeep Talk Show. Jason Buckles with Boatlock was able to give us an interview. And thanks to Sherry of McCullough PR for walking us over to Boatlock booth and physically twisting Jason's arm. It was a little scary to watch. All right, we're out here at uh, SEMA uh, 2019, and uh, uh, we're going to talk to Jason Buckles. He's at Volt Lock. You may remember that name. You know, you really should go back and listen to our past catalogs. There's all kinds of great stuff you can hear and also all kinds of great information. And, Jason, what are we looking at here? We're looking at a wonderful uh, Bolt Lock uh, emboldened uh, JK. What year JK is this? This one's a 2017 JK. And it, here at SEMA, everything's jails and gladiators. We wanted something unique and, you know, something that everyone could do. There's so many JKs out there, and they're really affordable. And there's tons of great products for them still out there on the road, too. Well, there's, like you say, there's so many. And uh, as, as I pointed out earlier, they probably have money since they didn't just buy a Jeep truck to buy accessories like Bolt Locks. Totally, yeah. Yeah, and it's it, we got these accessories, and you know you save a little bit of money, and that's, now you can really make it your own vehicle too. Now, 
So now I know we've talked before, so uh, let me let me rewind a little bit so our listeners that maybe don't know about Bolt Lock know what you guys do. You make locks for all kinds of things and, and devices that have locks on them that all go to one key. Yeah, and that one key is your vehicle key. So that's the nice thing about our locks. The first time you get a lock, you put your key in it, turn it once, and the lock learns your key. So now you don't need any extra keys and for any of the locks. And we got like receiver locks, padlocks, cable locks, no, trailer locks too. And then some nice things for the Jeeps. We have a hood lock for the JK and now for the JL. And then we have our high lift jack mount, J mount, which is a unique way of mounting your high lift to the side of your Jeep so you're not reaching above your, across your hood or up onto our roof rack. That just scares the hell out of me when I see those uh, those uh, high lift jacks, heavy high lift jacks on the hood. And somebody pointed out the other day about it could come off in an accident, and now you have a decapitation device. Oh, yeah, and that's a huge risk there. Just not to mention if it's, like, wet or it gets a little muddy. What if you drop it on your hood? You're dropping, like, a 50-pound jack on your hood. That's going to leave a hell of a dent. Yeah, I know people like to the, the, the dent up their Jeeps, and that's a, a rite of passage, so to speak. But I think dragging something across the hood isn't, isn't the kind of dragging or the scratches they want. No, that's not what I would want. So, yeah, nothing on the side. It's super convenient. It's easy to access. And, of course, it's locked on so no one can take it. Yeah, and, and, and say that product again. It's the J-mount, our high-life jack mount. And it's the it's the whole thing, including the lock, or do you buy them separate? It's the whole bracket. It includes the bracket, all the accessories to install it, the knobs, and the lock in there. It only takes about 10 to 15 minutes to install. Yeah, that's a, and that's a great thing. And this uh, can this go on either side, or does it just go on the driver's side? We have uh, two different versions. There's one for the passenger and one for the driver's side. Okay, so it's really whichever, whichever one you prefer, or if you're really fancy, you do both sides. You definitely could do both <laughs> sides. <laughs> uh, I don't know if... Uh, you're probably too young, but in the 80s when the cell phones were a big thing and uh, they, uh, you had not the carry phones, they were um, mobile phones that were fixed in your vehicle. People would not even have a cell phone. They had like 10 and 20 cell phone, uh, fake cell phone antennas on their oh, back glass. I've definitely seen those on the road before. <laughs> you did the same thing with the, uh, with the uh, high lift jacks. So uh, now my wife had noticed that you guys had a, lock, uh, a lockable uh, gas cap cover that was made by somebody else, but you have the lock that you could put on there. Yeah, we partnered with Pop and Lock on it. It's a JK fuel door cover. So it's a nice way, instead of having to deal with, you know, doesn't lock, or dealing with the actual fuel cap, it's a fuel door cover, and it's one easy install piece there, too. Yeah, we're only uh, a couple of, uh, I guess, Saudi Arabia attacks of oil fields for gas going up really high, and you need to protect your gas in your vehicle. Totally. It's one of the things people we get a lot of questions on. It's like, hey, I need to lock my fuel door or something that on the Jeep, and this is a nice little way to do it. So just to be clear, now you get the lock from Bolt Lock. You don't have to send in your key to get the thing keyed or anything like that. You just take your key that you have in your hand and set the lock all by yourself. That's it. Take the lock. First time you get it. So it'll seal letter. Make sure you know that it's unused. Put your key in all the way. Turn it once. Done. The lock has just learned your key. Now, can it be any key or does it need to be your ignition key? So it needs to be a vehicle ignition key. But we work with, besides just Jeeps, you know, Rams, Fords, GM vehicles, Toyota and Nissan ones for the last 20, 25 years. So we cover a lot of trucks and Jeeps on the road these days. Uh, it's a great idea. And uh, you guys make an awesome product. And, and it, it's, there's so many things that you can do with it. Um, and uh, do you can you retrofit locks into things? that uh, I, don't, I can't remember when we talked before if there was a way to take... Uh, like uh, maybe a Tuffy lock that you would like to take their lock off and put on the bolt lock. Do you guys retrofit that type of thing? It's definitely something if you're willing to take a little bit more um, proactive uh, approach to it. Our locks are both longer and wider than a traditional lock, but we have a standard cylinder you can find out there that 
you put your key in, it works away, and you just have to get it retrofitted to your application then. So it's possible, but it's not as user-friendly as the, the locks that you guys sell for the, on the devices that you sell. Exactly. It's more of an advanced user type of thing. But possible. Okay, well, great. Uh, thanks a lot for talking to us out here at SEMA 2019. Has it been excited for you? So is this, this isn't your first time here, though, right? No, this is actually my seventh year at SEMA, and I look forward to it every year. And it's, it's been good. I'm excited this year. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Remember, BoltLock.com is the place to go. It's one key for all your locks on your Jeep. Check out their high lift mount. Thanks to Sherry of McCullough PR, the Jeep Talk Show was able to get a sneak peek prior to the reveal of their Gladiator bedside lock boxes hours before the rest of SEMA. Talking to Jason here with uh, Tuffy at SEMA 2019, and uh, we're getting a, a quick look at a, uh, a Jeep truck with a special item. What is this item? This is our Gladiator bedside lock boxes. Given that organization on the inside, definitely trying to find those new options. That way we can all organize our rig and make sure that we can keep everything secure at the same time. So this is a lot like the, the side uh, bed, uh, the, uh, the toolboxes they put on the built-in, like the Dodge trucks and stuff, but this is something that you can add on to the Jeep truck. Correct. Yeah, so uh, Ram, they have that option for the uh, the Ram box, I believe that's what it's called, the Ram box. And now this is going to be a Gladiator option. That's going to be a bolt-on application for that vehicle, giving you that nice, convenient storage and organization at the side of the vehicle. And, of course, uh, Tuffy is well-known for security. I'm, I'm sure these are also going to be well-known for security. Absolutely, yep. We're, 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 uh, we're definitely pioneering and doing what we can. We always do our organization. That's always first and foremost. you got to make sure you organize your life. But then when you, after you organize it, you got to make sure it's secure, and that's where we well, come into play. Well, you got to keep the stuff in there, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. You don't want to buy anything twice. You want to keep it once. <laughs> so uh, I know you guys uh, do a lot of things with BoltLock. Will BoltLock be able to work on this? Uh, not at this time. This is definitely a, um, a newer product. We do have our proprietary locks. Uh, just one of those the security measures that we always put in place, making sure that what you put inside of there is not going to walk away and nobody has a means of getting around on them. But something that could be happen in the future, but I don't have any info on that at this time. No, no problem. Uh, also, too, this is, uh, it's, it, it kind of has a military look and feel to it. It looks like really strong, thick stuff. I would assume that uh, getting it bolted into the truck is also a secure and not very easy to remove. Correct. Yep. All the mounting locations are going to be inside the box. So when this box is um, locked up, there's no access to any of the hardware. I mean, it'd be kind of dumb to put it uh, on the outside, but you do see doors mounted with the, the hinges on the outside. So Right. Luckily, we had the forethought on that. Got to ask the hard-hitting questions. Exactly. <laughs> nope. We did all the thinking for you. We, uh, this is what we do. This is our niche in the market, and uh, we definitely take those thoughts. That way, you don't have to worry about that. You uh, get this installed, you have uh, peace of mind when you walk away from your vehicle and you know it's going to stay there well i appreciate the uh the quick look because you're actually not revealing this until 1 30 right but not until 1 30 later this evening so uh you got an early look right now so make sure to stop by and take a look and see the full product that's wild thank you very much and appreciate it jason nice to meet you and of course we spoke with jason uh in a past episode so we always have the back catalog that you can go back and listen to and hear about more of the, the toughy product for more information on the Gladiator bedside lockboxes and all the great products Tuffy makes, go to Tuffy.com. One man. What's with this guy? Who is he? One mission. Who are we talking about? Who is this guy? Who are you? One model of Jeep. What is this? The Wrangler. Who are you? Call me Bill. It's Wrangler Talk with Bill. Hello, JTS listener, and welcome to this week's Wrangler talk about drive shafts. Well, first off, 
We all know if we need anything drive shaft related, let's head over to Tom's Woods Drive Shaft. I can personally say that they know their stuff about everything to do with drive shafts and have the proper drive shaft you need for your rig or any build that you're working on. And also rem just remember, if they don't have what you're exactly needing for your build, they are amazing at building the correct drive shaft you specifically need for all those crazy awesome builds out there. So first, let's cover the reasons why you would need to change your drive shaft. And well, the most obvious reason is because you broke it off-road, on-road, anywhere. However, there are a couple other reasons why you would want to or need to change your drive shaft. And we all know your drive shaft transfers the power from your engine and transmission to your axles. And by doing this, they will spin at great speeds. And one of the most important parts of your drive shaft is making sure that it is balanced. So we are going to keep with the Tom Woods drive shafts. And every drive shaft that is purchased from them is properly balanced when they are building it in their facilities. Although, let's talk about what can cause an imbalance in your drive shaft. And it is very important to inspect your drive shaft for these possible failures. The first failure is losing your balancing weights that have been welded on to the drive shaft tube. For example, the loss of a one ounce weight off a drive shaft that has a one inch radius or a two inch diameter can cause a f an extra force of 16 pounds in any direction and lead to premature failure. Secondly, another possible imbalance in your drive shaft can be caused by the drive shaft tube having a dent in it. When the dent is imposed on the drive shaft, it can change the whole geometry of the shaft and lead to failure. Also, a dent in the shaft can lead to other complications down the road. An imbalance in the drive shaft can be diagnosed by observing a shaking or vibration from under the vehicle. Although these vibrations can also be caused by your tires as well. However, one way to tell the difference between the different causes is the drive shaft's vi vibrations are not speed sensitive, meaning that the vibrations coming from your drive shaft will be noticed at all speeds, where tire vibration will only be noticed after reaching a certain speed. So let's continue talking about getting a dent in your drive shaft. When you get a dent in your drive shaft, you're causing a weak point in the shaft, and this can lead to a crack of the shaft and eventually cause your shaft to completely crack or shear off. And let me tell you, your drive shaft will shear in the least ideal situation when you really need all four tires spinning. So another drive shaft failure is called phasing. Phasing is when when the alignment of the two joints or yokes of the drive shaft are not on the same plane. All drive shafts should be within a maximum of 1.5 degrees of phasing. Phasing can be a, actually a sign of your drive shaft being undersized or having an excessive load on the drive shaft itself. I can say that your stock drive shaft is very weak compared to an aftermarket Tom's Woods drive shaft. Now, on other types of failures of the drive shaft, and the most common failure is U-joints. U-joint stands for a universal joint, meaning that during the rotation of the drive shaft, the U-joint allows the shaft to flex about 20 to 35 degrees in any direction, depending on the style of drive shaft you currently have. U-joints can fail in a few ways. A U-joint can become what we call burnt, meaning that the stud of the U-joint will become overheated and start to wear prematurely. Also, you can see this by 
it becoming this purple or black color, it pretty much means that your drive, your U-joint is becoming burnt within the actual yoke. This will cause the stud actually to become rounded and eventually slip out of the yoke too. And when this happens, it can cause a lot of other unneeded damage. So when looking at a new U-joint, possibly for your drive shaft, I would recommend putting in a serviceable U-joint, which means that they have a grease fitting on the side of the U-joint so you can add grease to the joint. This will lubricate the joint and increase the life of it by like tenfold. Seriously, sometimes serviceable U-joints can go for the life of the vehicle. And also, when you're inspecting your U-joint, you also want to inspect the yokes of where the U-joint goes into the drive shaft. The yokes are the area of the drive shaft that actually takes the most abuse. And it is important to check for cracking any nicks or gouges out of the yokes or bearing caps. And this can actually cause damage to the U-joint and cause it to become misaligned in the yoke and lead to failure. So there are a lot of different ways a drive shaft can fail or need to be replaced. And these are just some of the common ways or premature failures that can actually cause your drive shaft to snap or something of the sort. And let me tell you, it does not happen in any good situation. Most of the time it happens off-road and you need all four tires to be spinning. But just remember, Tom Woods got you covered no matter what. So there are a lot of different ways that damage can cause you to need a new drive shaft. But the most common reason to replace your drive shaft is because you are putting a bigger lift on your Jeep. Yay, I know, so much fun. Yes, I know this is the fun part. However, I did have to save this till the end. So the purpose of the drive shaft, actually it, it slides in and out when your suspension is being flexed or moved up and down going through your suspension travel. This caused by the whole axle moving closer or further away from the transfer case when your suspension's moving through the travel range. And when it comes to lifting your Jeep, you're changing the geometry of the driveline. And when you start changing the geometry, specific angles that are needed for your Jeep to drive smoothly down the road will change too. So a good rule of thumb is when you're lifting your Jeep, any lift two and a half inches and under, your stock sh drive shaft should be okay. And if the lifts are over two and a half inches, you will most likely need a new drive shaft. However, with that, always consult a professional about the geometry of your new suspension, and they will definitely be able to tell you whether you will need a new drive shaft or not. So remember, if you need any help with drive shafts, any questions, comments, concerns, Tom Woods Custom Drive Shafts will be glad to help you with any questions that you have about your drive shaft or even just thinking about getting a new one. Go check them out and also check out our page. We do have a discount code on our page, so might be a good way to get a little bit off your drive shaft. This concludes this week's Wrangler Talk. And just remember, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, head over to the jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and send us an email or leave us a voice message. And thank you for listening to this week's Wrangler Talk and stay tuned to next week's Wrangler Talk where we're going to be diving into the steering system of your Jeep. And let me tell you, there's a lot of different things that can be going on with your steering.
Well, this campfire sure feels nice in this uh, cold Pacific Northwest weather, but uh, I tell you what is not feeling too nice is the uh, price tags that I'm seeing on the new parts lists that I've started creating. Yeah, I know, I know. It's never a good idea to start creating lists. Or so they say, I think. I don't know how that goes. But I'm kicking myself in the shorts for starting a parts list of things I need to get to finish up upgrading my axles. I'm not liking the dollar figures that I keep coming up with because, honestly, it's like, oh, no. It's okay. So I got stuff for the rear axle. I got stuff for the front axle. I'm, I'm looking at, at possibly upgrading some tires here in the very near future. I'm looking at a trip to Moab in the near future as well. And and as my Jeep sits right now, yes, I could go out there and, and do some wheeling and everything like that. But uh, to really have the Moab experience, I, I really want my Jeep to beef, uh, beefed up a little bit more. Um, I, I don't have the time and money right now for a 44 swap or a, an 8-inch swap in the rear. I'm perfectly fine, and I have a lot of trust in that 8 and a quarter. Uh, it has held up with a lot of abuse that I have put it through. Uh, the Dana 30, however, up front, even though uh, has held up very well, I've only blown a couple of U joints in the uh, in all the time that I've had that uh, had that axle and all the the tires and and systems that I've that I've been uh, running on that front end. Um, it's, I've got some uh, faith and and you know some confidence in that too. A lot of people say you know dirty 30, don't don't uh, don't put any money into that turdy. Uh, but, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and beef it up a little bit because, uh, I am confident that it will be able to handle what I put it through. And ultimately that's, uh, that, that's the bottom line there. So, um, yeah, a lot of stuff, uh, that's on the list. I actually start going through it all here and right now, but, uh, I think I might, you know, kind of break it up into maybe some stuff that I can, uh, address in tech talk even. So, um, we'll be looking forward to maybe some, uh, Dana 30 upgrade segments in tech talk, maybe even a multi segment type of thing, uh, uh, that we're going to do here. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure how it's going to do this. Uh, bottom line is that I'm going to have to figure out how to come up with some money because I'm going to have to be spending some money here pretty soon to, get the Jeep ready for a big trip next year. Hey, join the campfireside chat. We'd sure love to have you pull up a chair, crack a beverage, and join in on the fun. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and find out all the ways you can reach out to us and join in on the fun. From the mind of Nikki G. Portion of Nikki G brought to you by 10 millimeter sockets. Like hunting for Bigfoot, unicorns, smart liberals, and other mythical creatures? Try looking for that 10mm socket instead. That's 10mm socket. Here's a hint. It's in that other dimension along with that sock from the dryer. Hey, this is Nikki G. And uh, I just want to tell you guys, I really didn't come up with anything this week. Uh, I was feeling kind of under the weather. And I went to see my doctor and he suggested I try an all-almond diet. Yeah, that sounded nuts to me too. But that's not why I'm calling. I really have no idea why I'm calling. I really didn't think this thing through. Let me take a second and get back to you. All right, uh, this is what I came up with. It's the best I can do. A rabbi, a nun, and a priest walk into a bar. <laughs> and that's the joke, because they're not supposed to be drinking. All right, boys and girls, I'll chat you later. You have a good one. Bye. Hey Jeeper, Mitch here. Today is the 8th of November 2019 and it's time for your weekend going topless Jeep weather report. I was trying to convince my wife to cruise around in my Jeep topless this weekend. This weekend here, the weather is doing a surprise turn back up to the 80s and I wanted to have a little bit of fun. 
Well, that didn't work out the way I wanted to. So I'm out in my Jeep alone. I guess let's get to the weather. Let's start with all those lucky people at SEMA in Las Vegas, Nevada this week. There will be a comfortable and sunny 79 on Friday and Saturday, 78 on Sunday. From all the pictures people have been posting on Instagram, I know there's a lot of toplessness happening at SEMA. Oh, and a lot of Jeeps are topless too. Well, why not go topless at the headquarters of Jeep? Toledo, Ohio will progressively get cloudier all weekend. 38 on Friday, 42 on Saturday, and 45 on Sunday. At least, it'll get progressively warmer too, making it easier to keep your top off. Lastly, try going topless in Oliver Springs, Tennessee. It is as perfect as we can get in the continental United States during wintertime without risking surfing on hurricanes. Sunny with 49 on Friday, 55 on Saturday, and 62 on Sunday. Just have all your headlights on and out at night while topless. We don't need you becoming an inspiration for a horror film. Now listener, my wife might have caught on to who I was trying to have go topless this weekend. Mostly because I have a patriot and my Jeep is the one who'd be topless. I hope you have better luck than me with getting topless. Jeeps. Monday, here in the US of A, is Veterans Day. So I'd like to thank all of our service members listening for their service to their countries. Thank you. If you have any suggestions or want to know your local weather in an upcoming episode, go to jeeptalkshow.com contact in order to find all the ways to get a message to me. I'm Mitch. It's a great weekend to go topless if you're brave enough. Just go topless responsibly. Now let's get to some events from around the world and maybe even in your neck of the woods. And don't forget to let us know about an event that you are planning or are involved with or volunteering with. Any sort of information like that, get that out to us. We'll get it out to the masses. We have a very easy way to do that. Just go to our site, click and fill out our wheeling wear form. That information comes to us and we will get it out onto the show. Coming up November 30th, at the end of the month, November 30th through December 1st, we have Big Dogs Off-Road presenting their annual Toys for Tots Dirt Fest. This is a big event, guys, and this is a charity event. All toys will go to the Quantico Marine-based Toys for Tots program. Again, November 30th through December 1st, happening at the Cove in Gore, Virginia. Happening December 7th, we have the Shriners Ride, hosted by Highlifter Off-Road Park in Shreveport, Louisiana. For more information, more events, and links, visit the JeepTalkShow.com website for this episode. That's it for the show for this week, my fellow Jeeper. Until next week, be sure to like and friend us on Facebook. We're really trying to boost our social media reach, and you can be the biggest help in doing that. And as always, thank you for listening to the world's most downloaded Jeep podcast. Four low and seven U joints ago, our vehicles brought forth on this land a new trail conceived in dirt and dedicated to the rocks that make all our Jeeps equal. I'm guessing since 2010.